Welcome to the Pac-Man Podcast. Here you will find Dr. Cindy Elliser and Kat McKeever, researchers at Pacific Mammal Research, talking all about marine mammals. We will have a variety of ways to share information with you through discussing research articles and news stories, interviews with other researchers, and more. Join us to learn more about marine mammals and have some fun. Welcome to the Pac-Man Podcast. I'm Cindy. And I'm Kat. And this week we're doing a journal review. I'm really excited about this one because uh, culture is always interesting to me, especially in, as they call it, non-human animals. <laughs> I have to clarify because uh, we are animals. Um, but this is uh, evidence for sperm whale clans, evidence from sperm whale clans of symbolic marking in non-human cultures. And this was in, uh, what is the acronym for? For its penis. I think it's I, I think penis? it's just penis. I don't I've never actually I don't oh. think I know what the what yeah that stands for. I thought it had a longer name, but it does it doesn't look like it does. Okay, so PNAS. <laughs> uh the population biology section by Hirsch et al. And this is a brand new 2022. Oh, and I just saw that this was edited by Franz DeWall. And that's awesome because they're he's a huge um person in the in the primate culture and animal world. Um so that's very cool. Yep. Um, very good one to have editing <laughs> that article. Um, so the reason why I'm excited about this is culture is such an interesting topic and it's only more recently been um, in the realm of animals. So culture has been something that only humans can have as we always have to have something that makes us different or better than animals. Um, but we're increasingly seeing that culture is not just a, a human, a human thing. Mm -hmm. And um, the, I will uh, uh, put out that book again. I know we talked about it already, but the um, Franz do, do, uh are we smart enough to know how smart animals are is a really good book. Um, and it, 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 it's not exactly culture, but it kind of links to this of, of all this intelligence and all these different things that we see in animal cultures now that we didn't allow ourselves to before and how pervasive it is. Um, and so it's really interesting to be able to start to look at that um, more, a little bit more objectively than it being like, oh, that's not true. They can't have culture or that kind of thing. Right. So um, let's start off with the definition of uh, culture in the first place. <laughs> that would probably be a helpful place to start. <laughs> what are we talking? Because it's one of those words where you're like, oh, culture. Yeah, I know what it is. But then asked to explain it, you're like, mm, well, it's, it's. <laughs> Well, and I think honestly, like that's a good place to start right there because that's part of the problem in identifying culture in non-human animal species is that we do sort of have an intrinsic understanding of what culture means in humans. But when we're trying to look beyond our own species, like, like you said, trying to define it is actually quite difficult. Yeah. And I actually had a note in here when we're, when we go, get to that section, which actually should be soon. Um, but like, yeah, what does it look like in other animals? Because we don't have the same type of, of outward things, right? Other animals don't wear clothes and we do, mm -hmm. right? We think of culture with, in terms of that. So, you know, how do you define it? And that's the same thing as with that book. How do you define intelligence in, um, in animals that don't have hands like we do that don't, or, you know, that they have tails or they don't have facial expressions like we do, you know? So it's right you know, are we able to really define it if we are defining it in a way that is only makes sense for us? Mm -hmm. So culture, uh, the definition is information or behavior that is shared with a, uh, within a community and, and, acqu 
acquired from conspecifics, so other animals in the um, of the same species, um, through social learning. So that the information is passed from one animal to another, whether that is through parent offspring or from conspecifics, right? You know, just others in the population, whether they are related or not. Mm -hmm. And we are starting again, we always say, eh, only people have culture, but that's not true. We have, we are now documenting many, we, the collective, we, not, not you and me. Um, not us specifically. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, that there are these, um, this information that is passed on between individuals. We see it in um, foraging strategies of different animals. And, for, you know, we're here, we're talking mainly marine mammals, but um, foraging strategies are, strategies are a big way that we can see that information is being transmitted from one, one individual to the next. It's not innate. They aren't just born doing this. They go, oh, that's really cool. I'm going to do that now. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and, you know, like tool use in the shark bay dolphins. Um, we have the different kinds of um, bubble net feeding and other types of feeding in baleen whales. Um, so there, that's, that's what we're talking about is this, you know, some kind of information that is shared amongst individuals in the population um, through learning it from others. And the big, um, it, we do, they do recognize in the paper that culture has been increasingly recognized as a powerful force in structuring non-human animal populations. So we are starting to document these things and saying, yes, this is culture. Um, the same as, you know, or similar to what we have, right? Not, it's not exactly the same, just in terms of how it is expressed. Um, so it is there, but the, the main gap is this, uh, the holy grail of, you know, quantitative evidence, right? Where are the numbers that show us that this, not just describing it, right? Because you can, mm -hmm. you can describe something and people can, you could take it different ways. You could say, well, it's because of this, like, well, it could also be because of that, right? There could be multiple reasons, but quantitative evidence provides a more, what's the word? um structure to it i guess sure <laughs> yeah i mean that's it does i mean right yeah i'm not sure which word you're looking for but that i guess yeah, that like validity does. i mean if you want to say it that way yeah i mean i think the the way that i think of quantitative data versus qualitative is quantitative shows you proof that, that this is right. what yeah, is happening versus basically describing something and therefore being left with multiple reasons why that could be happening. Right. So it shows the evidence versus a correlation. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, so the big gap then is between humans and animals is, you know, the quantitative description of these symbolic markers um, showing these, that these cultures are different from one another. And so a symbolic marker um, is I, I love the the description of it seemingly arbitrary right what does it matter which is true uh, we'll get into that um, seemingly arbitrary traits that function as a reliable indicator of cultural group membership to conspecifics to others in the community um, and so you're like well that's just sound like doesn't seem important if it's arbitrary right <laughs> kind of a fun word but it's true so if you think about culture in humans there are certain ways people dress, right? There are, you know, jewelry or whatever, or hairstyles. And you can say, oh, that person is part of that group. But it, right. out of that context, it doesn't really mean anything. It's arbitrary. It's, 
I decided to spike my hair and then everybody spiked their hair. And now we have spiked hair. Yeah. The one that I really like that they mentioned as an example of this is accent or dialect. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such a good example where, again, like if you have a Scottish accent, you're most likely either spent time in or from Scotland. Mm -hmm. Does that matter beyond that fact? No, not really. <laughs> has no bearing on anything about you, but it, it does define you as someone who has been or spent a lot of time in that location. Right. It doesn't mean that you are better at living in Scotland than other people. Right. Right. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. give you betterness in that regard. Mm -hmm. And we're right. talking There's about no like selective advantage to it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like I guess exactly on an evolutionary scale, having an accent doesn't help you survive any better. And if you have to communicate with other people outside of your area, maybe it actually might be decreasing because sometimes you can't tell what the heck people are saying. From other that is true. But yeah, I thought that was a really nice example of what they what they are referring to here as these symbolic markers. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah. And the, so they, they also call them ethnic markers, social markers, tags, or identity signals. And they, as you said, can be accent, dialect, music, right? You know that there's Scottish music, there's um, you know, Southern music, there's Argentinian music, you know, there's all these different genres, um, personal ornaments, tattoos, and our clothing styles. And I think that that's a good kind of roundup. Like those are a lot of the things that we, we would constitute as a culture and to be able to, and cult, by meaning culture and, and being able to identify an individual as part of a group or a different group. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of those cues, right, that we as humans use to make a quick assessment of what this person is part of, where they might be from, what they might belong to, like where they fall in relation to us. Right. And the important part is that it's, so you can do that for yourself as, you know, you are broadcasting, I'm from this group, but the biggest difference and that's important in this paper is that it's not just that, it's that others recognize it and then ID you as part of that group. So it's not just you identifying yourself as part of that group. It's other people being able to recognize that and saying, oh, that's that group, not that group. Mm -hmm. Very important. Yeah. Um, and so, and it's so, cause that's a different level, right? Of the other animals seeing that and using that. So the key is that it's using that information to do something or to alter their behavior mm -hmm. in some way. Um, and so back to the other, the, the point. So we're talking about, you know, these personal ornaments, tattoos, clothing stuff. So what do we classify as a symbolic marker in, in animals that don't wear clothes, that don't mm -hmm. tattoo themselves, that don't put earrings on? I mean, it should be really easy if like, oh, well, the dolphins over there have pierced dorsal fans and the other ones have <laughs> loops, right? And these ones only wear hoops and those uh -huh. guys only wear studs. So exactly. like, they're totally different. Obviously. Um, you know, how do, how do you do that? And and so this is why they're going into more the, the acoustic section of it, right? The accents or dialects, because that is something that they all share. Um, I mean, we had orcas here that, you know, some, they, they had different, they had fads. You know, there was one, at one point there was animals that were carrying salmon around on their heads <laughs> for no apparent reason. <laughs> <laughs> but that didn't, didn't last long-term, you know? Um, so, so in lack, in, 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 with lacking that other kind of information, acoustics is a really good way to look for those type of symbolic markers, like um, those accents and dialects that we talked about. Mm -hmm. So um, the um, they're using um, the background of this too. For they compare it to human um, ethnicities and you know cultural boundaries. Um, they're looking at 
um, the models and evidence, uh, they, they showed that models predict, and, and there is evidence that supports this, that the differences are most marked at boundary regions, um, and that these cultural norms and symbolic markers correspond to those. So it's very like at the end of this boundary of a, a group of people, then then the things change, right? The cultural, the symbolic markers change. Um, and the potential uh, markers, um, I say, this one is interesting. The potential marker traits with the greatest initial differences will be marked first. So that one was a little confusing to me when I was first reading it, but it's basically which one is the most stark, right? Which one's <laughs> the most obvious that mm -hmm. differentiates you from something else. Right, so for example, for humans, you go from France into Germany, all of a sudden people are speaking a different language with a different accent. You probably recognize all of a sudden I'm in a different country. It might look the same visually. The people mm -hmm. might look the same visually even, but all of a sudden you're, you're getting this very obvious cue that you have moved into beyond one boundary and into another. Right, and, and there may be also other symbolic markers like you know people wearing berets or other clothing items, but that won't be as stark a difference between than you know, going from English to French. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the the cool thing with that is it does show that like you might get some of those additional cues the further you get into that country, but especially right. at that border point, there could be some crossover between visual cues of the, right. of the individuals, right? So you are relying more on, well, how do they sound? What language are they speaking? Um, to give you an indication of what's going on. And then if the language is similar across that, then maybe another marker will be more stark. Maybe there will mm -hmm. be clothing differences that are way more, or just what they look like. Some are like giant, you know, six foot tall people and the other people are like four foot five, you know, that <laughs> there, there, there usually is one marker, whether it be dialect or clothing or just what they look that will be more distinct than another. Right. Um, so, with that kind of context, let's talk about the sperm whale culture in particular. Um, this, the sperm whales are one of the marine mammals that have been uh, studied the most with, um, for culture. Uh, Hal Whitehead has spent his life, <laughs> literally, and is it, out on boats uh, and um, learning about you know, these animals and others. But there's been a lot of done on culture. And I will have a link to a, a TED talk that Hal Whitehead did specifically about sperm whale culture. And he does a great oh, job nice. explaining exactly, you know, in layman's terms, what this means and, and just clearly. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Um, but they have uh, multi-level societies with long lasting social units. So they have these groups of animals that are, they always find together um, mm -hmm. over long periods of time. Their vocals are called the vocalizations that they make. At least the, I don't know if they make other ones. They only talk about codas. So, <laughs> so basically, sperm whales, as far as we know, just click. They just um, codas. yeah. So that's why. So codas are basically these stereotyped patterns of clicks that they've determined actually encode information. Right, and they're socially learned. And the stereotyped that just means that they're the, the same each time, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's like this one type of click is always that type of click, whatever. Right. Um, and these types do vary. So they don't just go click, 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 click. They have, they, they vary in the number of clicks they have, the rhythm that they have, the tempo that they have. So it's like more, honestly, I feel like it's Morse code. Mm -hmm. It's like, tick, 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 you know, longer codes. Right. And usually it's the spaces in between that change versus the tones, I think, you know, like we mm -hmm. have in, uh, that, but it's the same idea. 
just have mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Um, so the social units only associate with um some social units only associate with others, uh, other units that use similar codotypes. So these codotypes we can correlate that with basically a dialect, right? Um, and so these then combine into vocal clans. So all the all the different groups, social units that use the same um, codotypes are classified in a vocal clan. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's gonna become important later. <laughs> uh, and so what, what is perceived or what we think is that the whales can differentiate between within and, and outside group members um, and that they likely could use these as symbolic markers. So they could use the fact that, oh, you're using that, that coda that means you're part of that group and not part of my group. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do believe that the clan dialects are culturally transmitted through social learning. So again, that ticks that other box of this being a symbolic marker. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they have two different types of codes that we're going to be discussing in this paper. Um, and it, they show that the in the Atlantic and Pacific, they can be distinguished by, the clans can be distinguished by identity codes which I'm going to shorten to ID codas uh, throughout this, mm-hmm. and then non-identity codas, so non-ID codas. Um, so identity codas are only performed by one clan. Non-identity codas are shared amongst multiple clans. So there's okay, got it. Yeah, so there's like <laughs> the ID ones are like that's mine, <laughs> that's my name, don't wear it out. Uh, and the non-identity ones are ones that are shared. Um, gotcha. So the big thing is basically we can identify them by these differences, but can the whales themselves and do the whales themselves? Because that's actually two different questions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that's the question, right? This exists. Do the whales use this as a marker of difference? Um, so they are using an entire ocean basin. This is there's a lot of authors on this paper because it's a huge collaboration (laughs) (laughs) literally the entire pacific ocean so you know kind of wild kind of wild it is it's but it's fantastic what you can do with collaborations right when you work together Mm -hmm. it's just mind-boggling and so why they wanted to do the entire ocean basin basin is because if we're talking about this in culture and socially transmitted and you know passing it on down generations you want to have this not just does this happen now, but is this a thing that's been happening for decades and hundreds of years and beyond? You want to know if it's evolutionarily meaningful aspect of the mm-hmm. population. Mm-hmm. So, um, so they look at the similarity of dialects um, and it varies and how they vary spatially within clans. So within a clan in a given region, are they more similar the closer they are together or or, or farther apart or not, right? How does it vary within the geographic range of that vocal clan? And then also looking at the spatial overlap between clans. So what happens when you have a bunch of clans in, in, a, in the same area that are likely either directly interacting or at least around each other more? How does that change? So again, this goes back to how does the use of these ID calls and non-ID calls, uh, codas, um, change their vocal behavior and why, Mm -hmm. 
which would indicate whether it's being used as a symbolic marker or not. Right. Right. Um, so I'm going to go through just the real brief methods, and then Kat's going to fill in if there's any uh, extra tidbits of information that would be better. Um, but there's because acoustics can get very technical um, and tricky, so we don't want to overload uh, the, our listeners or ourselves, honestly. <laughs> Um, so basically they're looking at, are, are the ID codas used as symbolic markers by these whales? Can they identify that you're part of my clan and versus part of another other clan just by the use of the ID codas? So they need to quantify whether and how the ID codas and non-ID codas usage is modulated or changed by the level of geographic clan overlap which is a proxy for how sympatric they are. Sympatric means that they're living in the same area and, and utilizing the same resources. So they're probably interacting a fair amount um, versus just being next to each other. So that's allopatry, which is like, okay, you're over here and you're over here. So we interact sometimes, but we're not really overlapping. Sympat sympatry means they are overlapping and using the same area. Um, so they're looking at two hypotheses. One, that the... Um, the usage of the ID coda within clans will be more stable over um, geographic distances than non-ID. So basically, regardless of how far apart the, clan, the, the, the geographic range of the clan is, that ID coda will remain stable and used by all of them. And um, that can really change. And then the ID coda um, is going to be more distinct as the clans overlap. Um, so that the, um, basically if, if you're overlapping with a bunch of different groups, you have to continually use your own ID coda to maintain your difference between the other groups. Right. Yeah. To, and also to, to find other members of your specific group as well. Right. So if you call out and you, you're the only one that uses that ID coda and you call it out, then the other ones in your group are going to know that that's, you're part of that group. Versus mm -hmm. using a non-ID coda, which all of them use, you don't know who that is. Right. Um, so those are their two hypotheses they're looking at. And so Kat, do you have any other um, tidbits of exactly how they did the study? That would be um, Yeah. So basically what they were looking at was acoustic recordings, like Cindy already said. So they were collected between 1978 and 2017. So over quite a long time span. Um, That's literally almost as much as long as I was born. I was born in 78. So... <laughs> Well, there you go. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, um, and it was over in, in 23 locations within the Pacific Ocean. So like Cindy said, we're going full ocean basin here. And they do have um, a very nifty map showing you basically all of the different locations that they use. And it's, a, it's actually a very, very good spread, mm -hmm. um, which was kind of impressive given that like some of these are literally in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Right. Um, like, so that was kind of huge. <laughs> Although I found it interesting, there was, the, there was that blank spot up in the Pacific Northwest and out and out west of, of that in the ocean. Like there's stuff above it, there's stuff below it, there's stuff all around it, but there's like this little blank spot. <laughs> where they Yeah, just, that's a good point. I mean, we don't really have sperm whales in this area typically as far yeah. as i'm aware i mean i Except know the that one, one that they were well yeah the one that they recorded um a couple of years ago up here was like wait what why are we hearing a sperm whale they don't really come around here um but yeah it is kind of interesting yeah um so basically they ex extracted a variety of different metrics from these codas um using various acoustic software and in order to 
type the code is. So they have to first start off by classifying all of these into different sections, right? And come up with the different coda types that they're actually then going to compare. Um, as we mentioned before, they're basically looking at things like the interclick intervals, um, the, the repetition, that kind of thing, so that they can actually define what a specific coda is first. Um, and then from there, they can go on and delineate these identity codas um, and the non-identity codas. Um, for the within clan analyses, they basically were, again, they, they just kind of took these coda types that they'd already established and plotted that against geographic variation, geographic distance, excuse me, um, between the different repertoires. So they're- And the, and the repertoire is a, a one day of reporting. Yes, yes. yes. So again, basically the, this, the slope that would be created by plotting these two things against one another would indicate how coda use um, varied with increasing distance. Right. So does that it makes go, sense. if it, yeah, increases within distance or decreases within distance, how would that Right. Correlate? So that was for the within clan, within vocal clan analysis. Mm -hmm. For the between clan analysis, um, similarly, they basically looked at the spatial overlap and whether coda use was similar um, and whether that similarity varied with the spatial overlap. So right. Basically, what they did was they defined what spatial overlap meant, first of all, because again, we're looking at quantitative data, right? So they can't just say, oh, they were kind of in, they were in proximity to each other. Yeah, like they how have much to define what that means. Yeah. Right, exactly. So for this paper specifically, they define spatial overlap as the proportion of the first clan's repertoires that were recorded within a thousand kilometers of at least one of the second clan's repertoires. So basically, if you record one clan within at least a thousand kilometers of another clan, they are said to be spatially overlapping. And um, I think they chose so that, that 1,000 kilometers because the one clan, that one clan has a huge range. Yes. Yeah. yeah, they did. They did point out one specific clan that was like a little bit out there um, and, and does range a lot more than the others. So I think, yeah, it was to, to account for that. Mm -hmm. um, and so basically within that, they were then looking at to see looking to see whether. Coda, whether the use of these codas actually changed or not when they were spatially overlapping versus right. when they weren't. Yeah, how, um, how much they used a certain coda versus another coda within that area. Yeah, yeah. And so basically, um, you know, once they defined all of these, what these specific codas were, then they were doing effectively a lot of um, plotting and regression plots and various things like that in order to to look at some of these differences between um, geographic differences and then also between clan differences. Yeah, lots, lots of fun math and stats. And yeah. Reg regression is the big one. Most of the stuff that we're going to be talking about, just think if you're like, what, what that was, it was likely a regression analysis <laughs> <laughs> that did that. Um, cool. All right. Was that, 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 I think that pretty much sums it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very good. All right. Well, we will be back after a quick break with the results. All right, we're back. Um, thanks for hanging with us. And we are going to get now into the results. Um, and this is, um, there's a lot of, I, I couldn't even imagine going through how long it took to go through all this data. I mean, well, and right. And you just think about how many years of data they were going through, right. first of all, like, and then, I mean, just I, I having done a lot of acoustic data research, like listening to the clicks over and over and over again gets pretty exhausting. 
I'm hoping that um, they had some of the you know new software stuff that allows the that the software actually can pull out like okay here's a click like listen to it they now did they like, did but still I mean you are still, still you know you're still auditorily listening to a lot of this as well to compare right so you just linked it click 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 he's <laughs> so strange <laughs> not even like fun frequency modulated whistles it's just you know mm-hmm. Morse code um so yeah I applaud all the people that uh, sat through all that uh, data to, to sift through it so they, out of that, they got 23,429 codas. That's a lot. <laughs> uh, and these were, uh, and they, they, they had only codas that were three to 10 clicks long. So they excluded any that were shorter than that. And we'll talk a little bit later about, about why you know, there's what bias could come from that. But um, these were you know, more stable and they could differentiate them well. Um, mm -hmm. for those. So they recorded, um, they restricted analysis to recording days that were, uh, that they had 25 plus codas, 25 or more codas in that day. Um, and then each day is a repertoire. So I think they had to have enough of that, enough of those calls within the day to equal an, a big enough sample size to be comparative. So I think that's why mm -hmm. they, they did that. Um, yeah. Because otherwise, if you had to do, like, do each individual coda, that would crazy so doing it into those day you know repertoires of days makes it easier to compare mm -hmm. so this means that 22,829 codas were included and uh 191 repertoire days so lots crazy. of data lots of data um and so they did this thing called hierarchical hierarchical are you oh my god Hierarchical. Hierarchical. Uh, there you really, go. Like, yeah. I, I do these kind of analysis. I can't even say it. Um, clustering. So this is, uh, I do this with the uh, social analysis where you are getting these kind of um, uh, diagrams that cluster or link together. You can kind of think of it if you know of a phylogenetic tree, it's similar to that, where you have these lines that come out and you can see whether these ones are grouped together and these ones are not grouped and you know these ones are grouped together and these two are very separate by how connected they are on the graph um, and so they did that with these uh repertoires of you know how isolated they are and there were seven they found seven clans in the pacific uh four of which were well known these are the four plus the one plus the regular and the shorts <laughs> they really didn't go exciting on the names for these guys <laughs> more utilitarian um, and you'll hear about the, I think the four plus and the one plus, I think are what, uh, how Whitehead talks about in that TED talk, if you um, happen to go watch it. Um, and then others, there were three others that were two of which were known, but not previously named. And then one was totally new, which is exciting. Um, and I'm going to leave my, okay. So the, the one that's new is called slow increasing Again, not super exciting name. The other two that were known, but not previously named are rapid increasing and palindrome. And I left that one for last because that's my favorite. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm assuming that their that their coda is a palindrome. I would assume, so, yeah. Given you know? that's why they're naming everything else, yeah. Right, same on one side and the other side, different a little bit. We can you can read it backwards or forwards and it's the same. Um, anyway, I, if I was a sperm whale, I'd want to be part of the palindrome. <laughs> Just saying. Um, so what's really interesting though is that when I looked at the map, I was like, I was expecting to see more clear definitions of mm -hmm. land membership and they're and they're really there was all they were all over the place mm -hmm. um and 
so there was a wide variation um, in where clan, how, you know, how some clans were, uh, had a really small range and other clans spanned literally the entire ocean basin. So um, that was pretty crazy. Uh, and then within clan, the consistency varies. So there were, some were really uniform in what they used and then others were less so um, in the number of codas um, uh, in, in, in what they used. So some were just like, we're only gonna use these codas and that's it. And then other ones had, a more, had more variation in which codas they used. Um, and the number of uh, ID codas per clan varied. Um, and then they had uh, rhythmic motifs, which that was fun, almost like music. Mm -hmm. You know, like these very, you know, I guess patterned, um, but specific arrangements of these codas that they would use together. Um, so there was a lot of variation. And so first you're like, well, what does that tell us? But it, there's much more. But um, what I thought was interesting that they noted is that the, the, the there's a small range of clans and then there's one that across the ocean basin. So this analysis, because it is kind of patchy because we don't have locations every single place where sperm whales may be, the, the, it shows that there, the, the clan is present there, but it does not show clone, clan absence. So the blank spots that we have in that map do not necessarily mean the clans aren't there. It's just that we don't, we, we don't have the data to show that they are. Right, exactly. Because it's hard to prove absence. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there was sympatry uh, in nine of 23 regions. So areas where more than one clan overlapped within that thousand uh, kilometer area. Um, and most were in the Galapagos, which was had seven clans. Then Ecuador had five, Tonga had four, and Northern Chile had four. So what I, I put a little note here, I said party in the tropics. <laughs> mm -hmm. Apparently... Where it's warm, you just get more clan. They're like everybody's partying. I don't know why, but it, it seems seems reasonable to me. <laughs> They're having coda parties. Heck yeah. <laughs> so, um, so there's quite a bit of sympathy. So it, it, it actually very much helps the analysis to figure out how they change their, be their vocal behavior within that uh, within those areas. So again, regression analysis <laughs> um, within the clans. Those the similarity in the ID codes decreased with increasing distance between the repertoires, the pairs of repertoires, um, and except for that one clan that I think it's the, the one plus clan that has like the range is like a thousand kilometers. So yeah, yeah, they're like kind of the outliers. <laughs> um, and then the there's a decrease. Uh, there was a similar decrease in the non-ID coda similarity with increasing distance, but it wasn't really significant. Um, so looking at that first hypothesis saying, you know, does that ID coda, is the ID coda more stable over distance? Um, and their, the analysis basically showed that it, it wasn't significant. Um, and what that indicates is that the variation that there is, is not explained by the geographic um, variation alone. Um, mm -hmm. and the patchy sampling of clans, again, means it's not complete description, but it, it shows these broad trends, but it's not complete. Um, so then between clans, the similarity, whoa, <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> uh, there was decreasing similarity in the ID codas for pairs of clans with increasing geographic overlap. And there was no such 
change or some or correlation with the non-ID code usage. So basically, whether when they're overlapping, the non-ID one, it didn't matter because everybody could say it because everybody was saying it, and they're not using that as an ID marker. But mm -hmm. the, the ID codas, um, the similarity and how it get used decreased with that overlap. So everybody's using only their specific ID coda. Okay. When right. it Which makes sense. Right. But, you know, you're going to, again, be able to easily identify, you know, from far away, hey, that guy that's going to take me, you know, 40 minutes to go swim to because I can hear it, but I can't see him. That's my clan, not some other dude that I'm going to spend 40 minutes wasting energy to go over and go, oops. Right. So yeah, that's, that's a good point. Like they have to be very clear in their communication with one another in order to facilitate that. Exactly. Um, and so the, and the, it, they showed that the clans with overlap um, rarely used other clans ID codas. Um, whereas if the clans rarely interacted, then they might use the, the other ID coda for that clan because it doesn't matter because they, they, it's not likely that that other clan will be there to misinterpret the signal. Mm -hmm. But if you're always all together, you can't do that. You have to right. use your own ID clan. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was one thing that was interesting, and I have it here. I don't know if we're gonna, gonna talk about it, but um, there's no there's no ID coda that is only used by one clan. Right, which I thought was very interesting, actually. So interesting. Because first you're like, but, well, that's the ID one, so they only use their own ID. Nobody else uses that, right? Yeah, and I think that was kind of how I was looking at this when I first started reading mm -hmm. the paper. But when you look at the when you look at the um, the the tree that they have, where yeah. they're showing how interactive they are, it kind of makes sense. Where like they're so interactive, they're not really in discrete groups necessarily. I mean, right. they kind of are, but also they kind of aren't. Right. Um, that kind of actually makes sense. Yeah, I I, I was with you. I I totally was thinking that the office, you know, that oh, well, it's obviously these ID ones would just be from that one clan, but mm -hmm. the fact that all of the all of those vocalizations are used by everybody but it varies in who they're with and how they use it really supports the idea of these symbolic markers. Mm -hmm. They're using yeah. it for a reason and as an ID of something, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, so that's the, that was the results that, so we move into kind of discussing what this all means. Um, the seven clans have three big things. They are variable um, with overlapping geographic uh, distribution, right? They are generally well distinguished by these ID codas, but again, everybody can use that coda, just they only use it in specific ways. And some vocal characteristics uh, are modulated by clan spatial overlap, right? So that's what basically I just said, like you, you use them at certain times based on the context of what is happening in the area that you're in at that moment and who you're around, mm -hmm. which makes total sense, right? Like if you want to be identified as we're going to keep going back to Scottish because uh, I don't know, just because you're, if you want to be identified <laughs> as a Scottish person, you're going to wear your stuff or you're going to, you know, make sure you're talking with your, with the accent. You're going to identify yourself, especially in an area where there's a lot of overlap. If you're trying to you know, go to a conference, right? If you want to mm. get with the other people from the country that you are from, you are going to use those cues to be able to meet up with them right? Mm -hmm. um, in that overlap. But when you're at home, probably don't need to like dress in your kilt and do your thing unless you want to. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it, so 
it, you, you're doing it in different contexts based on who is around you at that time. Right. Yeah. And the ability to change that, that's what really is talking about these symbolic markers is that you're mm -hmm. using that, not just that it's there, but you're using it for a reason. Yeah. Um, so, you know, discussing that distribution, many regions had a lot of overlapping, which again was some, a surprise that I, I, I was, I was, I was surprised with that, how, how much overlap there was, mm -hmm. um, which is pretty interesting. Um, and that all clans overlap with at least one in part of their range. So there's no isolated clans, which is also very interesting. Right. And I thought it was interesting that they then went on to say that basically this might infer that these sympatric clans are actually way more common than we realize. Mm -hmm. So rather than this being the exception, this is actually just what they do. Exactly. Um, which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. And that there's those increase in the number of clans in high, highly sampled areas. So it's likely that we're just missing mm -hmm. other places where there is more overlap than we think there are because we just don't have enough samples. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's very cool. So again, another thing where you can look at and say that, you know, the negative thing, I get negative is really important in science, just as much as positive is, right? These, so understanding what each of them is showing you can help you see the other side of it as well. Yeah, cool. absolutely. Um, and so this is similar to the ethno-linguistic diversity in humans, um, they, that is due to political complexity, environmental productivity, and heterogeneity, and substance uh, the substance strategies, strategies. So, you know, we're mostly found by water, highly on coasts, along riverbanks. Um, you know, our political complexity shifts who or where we're at. Um, environmental productivity, right? You don't find us in the middle of the Sahara Desert generally because there's not a lot of food there. So that changes how, you know, how our, our ethnicity and the linguistics shifted over time and evolved. And the same things you can, you have the, basically the same correlates in sperm whales. There is obvious social complexity. Their ocean productivity and heterogeneity is very different depending on where you are in the ocean basin. Maybe there's no food at all in that one section that we don't see them at all for them. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe that's why. Um, and then foraging strategies. Strategy. Oh my God, I can't say strategies. Foraging strategies. Um, so they have the same basic components to make the same things kind of happen in their populations as they do in ours. Right. Um, again, going forth to that culture and symbolic um, markers. So, um, uh, so within clans, you do see that ID coda use, um, um, uh, it, it, the ID codas may be more stable over space, but again, that wasn't statistically significant. So, um, it seems like those, I, you know, they, they all use it across that geographic range. Um, and we do see that at the, in humans, you know, there are certain places when you get isolated, it can become, you know, you have those distinct boundaries, right? The isolation mm -hmm. distance. Um, and so that may be occurring here as well, but it's more research is kind of needed to look into that. Right. Um, and then um, what I thought was really cool is there's, you know, the variation, they have those rhythmic motifs. They have all this other stuff that we haven't looked into. We've just touched the surface of what these codes mean to these animals. You know, we can see that they I identify the animals to, to some degree, um, but what are all these different rhythm motifs, you know, like think about music and things like that, like um, how, um, what that variation, there's more research needs to go into that variation to try to differentiate what exactly that means and what's important to the animals. And so this goes back to that, the fact that they didn't include those two, two click codas. 
um, due to because they were short and inconsistent uh, in their distribution or, or sampling, so they just left them out. But these may be culturally important to the animals that use them. And mm -hmm. so if we're just cutting those off because of our own restrictions and being able to, uh, to look at them, um, that may, if we can figure out a way to include those, that might provide more information on exactly how these plans overlap. And, um, and it begs that question, what is important to the clans versus what is important to what we think is important to the clans? Right. And like you said, what is, what is, what are we simply just constrained in order to be able to research and, and what is actually important? We might not be able to research mm -hmm. certain things that are very important for some, you know, based on our technology. And it's important to identify that, say like, okay, we may not be able to record that, but this may be biologically meaningful to the animals. And that needs to be incorporated right. into our decisions in conservation. Um, yeah. And that goes, we, we talk about that a lot with our work, right? It's biologically meaningful conservation measures. And it, it's these kind of things that need to be taken into account um, mm -hmm. for those kind of things. Um, and so because you have, as the clans overlap, you have the decreasing similarity in usage. So they're not using the other's ID calls as much as they are their own when they're overlapping with each other. Um, really supports the idea that that is a symbolic marker of clan ID that they are using, right? You're, they're modulating, they're changing how they're using that particular coda in different contexts and different scenarios with different animals around. Um, and so this is same as the ethnic group differences in, that are strongest at boundaries um, for these uh, symbolically marked groups. So again, you have that, this is, this is our area, that's your area, this is us, this is you, it has to be stronger when you're closer together. Um, mm -hmm. And so actually a good example is Europe versus the U.S. Mm -hmm. So Europe is a whole bunch of countries all crammed together versus U.S. We have a lot of difference within our country, but it's much more spread out. And so you have these um, need for increasing or, or the, you know, Italian, French, German, whatever. Those are more distinct because they are so close together. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Um, so again, it's, it's, uh, more, you've got to be, it's more easy to ID a stranger, um, is from a clan or not, if you have those distinct, uh, symbolic markers. Right. Um, and so we, we briefly touched on this before, but these ID codes help, help the animals to reunite and reaffirm social ties. Um, and this is important because 70% of their time is spent on solo foraging dives. So they dive down a mile or two, then come back up after like an hour and a half, <laughs> just fine mind-boggling on their own but then you pop up okay where's your where's your friends you may not mm -hmm. be able to see them likely won't be able to see them but you can call out and so right. these id markers is are really important for that so i like this quote um they serve as multiple evolution they serve multiple evolutionary functions within the umbrella of social bonding and they equated that to music and humans mm. which i thought was very cool right so mm -hmm. There's a lot, you know, music is pervasive. It's, it's the uni you know, universal language, as we like to say, along with math. <laughs> um, but it's that, this, that it's the umbrella of social bonding. That different music has different meanings for different groups uh, and allows us to come together and reunite and reaffirm our social connection with each other based on our similar likes of how our music is. Mm -hmm. right? Some people love bagpipes, some people don't. It's just a preference. <laughs> um, and so that was really cool. Lastly, we just have a couple things. Um, the study helps to see what what um, might be the basal or ancestral dialect, which I thought was so cool. Mm -hmm. um, and they thought it may be the short clan, but a lot more research is needed. Um, but it allows us to start thinking about that, the linguistic evolution of these dialects. 
Yeah, super, super cool. cool. Mm -hmm. um, so we it shows that there are quantitative evidence for the symb symbolic marking. The whales adjust their vocal behavior in ways that can reaffirm their cultural ID in areas with increased overlap of clans. Um, interestingly, they were saying that you know you need playback experience experiments to really see how they react. So are they you know how yeah. do they react when you play back another clan member within this, this different context? That would help us see if they are actually using it the way we say they are. Mm -hmm. um, right, and that kind of ties back to you know how we perceive something versus how the whales perceive something. Exactly. Right. So I, 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 mean, I think we're probably right, but <laughs> that would definitely show us <laughs> that yeah. we are. Um, and that there are cultural boundaries that exist. Um, and so, you know, humans associate with others with the same symbolic mark marker um, that has, and this has been chosen through natural selection, right? That benefits us when we do that. Um, and this data shows that um, there are the requirements for this uh, for the evolution of these markers in these animals also exists. So that exists in humans and it also exists in non-human animals, which is a big deal. Yeah, pretty, pretty incredible. Pretty awesome. So culture exists in other animals and sperm whales are super awesome uh, examples of that. And these symbolic markers showing that they have an identity that they can say that them they themselves are and they can identify other whales by um, using that as a symbolic marker is just pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. So that's what we have for today. Um, again, that was Hirsch et al. And um, evidence from sperm whale clans of symbolic marking in non-human cultures. So super great. It's an open access, so I will have the link in the show notes. Um, don't forget to visit our website and I will actually be having, we'll have, we have on the website soon and on our social media in the next day or two our link to our new merch page um, where you can buy our awesome new merch that we've been talking about the last few weeks. Um, so please check that out. Uh, there's really cool items for you to, to buy and, and all of it goes back to supporting our research and education and our ability to do fun things like this. Um, so be sure to check that out and check out our social media, Facebook and Instagram, and uh, keep an eye out on the Instagram stories for the next Marine Mammal Highlight, which will be our next episode. And you can vote as to who you want to hear about between two different animals, which we will determine soon <laughs> <laughs> so with that we will see you next time bye bye this was brought to you by pacific mammal research a 501c3 nonprofit organization check out our website www.pacmam.org that's p-a-c-m-a-m to learn more about us our research and the educational opportunities that we provide also help us continue providing fun and educational content like this by donating today. Your help is how we can continue to do our work and share it with you. Thanks.